0: You're listening to an episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. If you're returning for more outrageous stories, welcome back. Tales has been downloaded in 42 countries, over 730 cities worldwide. And I welcome my new listeners from Tokyo, Japan. Podo i Yokoso. A trusty friend of mine told me that means welcome to the podcast, but this guy's a little tilted. So uh, I hope I just didn't curse the entire country of Japan. This week, I'll share my thoughts on the Farmer's Insurance PGA Tournament that was held at Torrey Pines, right outside of San Diego. What does impatience look like on a golf course? Does it help to be impatient as a golfer, or can it hurt? Can you control it, or does it control you? I'll also talk about my recent experiences going back into movie theaters with assigned seating. But first, here's a segment I'd like to call This Week in the News, or is it just This Week with a lot of noise? Well, the biggest thing in sports news this week wasn't the games being played. It was Tom Brady's announcement that he retires. I, like most people on the planet, knew this day would come one day. Most sports reporters announce news of his death prematurely through his entire career. I mean, a few bad games in a row, particularly after he had gotten his first, second, or third Super Bowl. It's like it's time for him to retire. When young athletes hit the scene, the media touts them as the future of the sport. I mean, How many years until the media starts to sing an entirely different tune? He's past his prime. It is time to reconsider retirement. This is not a statement about ageism, despite the fact that most generations are hesitant to acknowledge and highlight past generations. Nobody wants to see their future where they look, feel, sound, and perform worse than they do today. In fact, most people dream about their future with images of their current self. It's simple. I look, act, behave, and perform the way I do now. The future is just me doing even better or living more life the way I perceive myself now. Tom Brady was an exception To most rules about aging, his fitness and mental regimens were intense and unwavering. I mean, he's a 45-year-old that looks and performs like a decade ago for most people. Despite the fact that sports reporters always ask Tom about his continued interest in playing, Tom would just tell him, hey, I'm feeling good. I'm performing well right now. The last thing I'm thinking about is retirement. But when I think about it, I'll let you know. After his fifth Super Bowl win, the media asked, is it time now? You got five rings. You got one for every finger on either hand. Then he wins his sixth. And that was two years since he had won his fifth. And again, the the media is like, well, how about now? I mean, you've now got six. Nobody's got six. I mean, nobody had five, but nobody's got six. He goes to the Bucks. His first game, he loses. Again, the media writes him off. Maybe this is the retire. He goes on to win his seventh Super Bowl, and then he comes back this year. And he takes the Bucks all the way up to the division championship and has this incredible comeback. I mean, when he played Atlanta in the Super Bowl, they were down 27-3. He comes back, he wins. This game, he's down 27-3. He comes back. But he just gave the Rams too many seconds on the clock to come back and win. What a way to go out. What a way to finish a career. But on that Sunday, you didn't know he was finishing his career. And everybody just stopped guessing. Again, he had one of the best quarterback ratings, if not the best, of the entire NFL. He's 45 years old, right? And so he doesn't announce it. He's just like, you know, he's not too happy. And then he does a podcast, Let's Go. And on Monday night, he still didn't announce it. And you know, Jim Gray asked some pretty hard questions. But he was like, you know, I'm home and you could hear his family in the back room, and I think his daughter was with him and he's doing the podcast. But you could hear him just say, hey, look, I woke up this morning. I got plenty of time to think about this. This morning I had cereal with the kids. Now my daughter's in here. You know, it kind of reminds me of when Michael Jordan said, you know, I'm retiring because I want to spend more time with my kids. And I think that lasted a week. But. You know, Michael Jordan and Tom Brady are not the same people. So then seven days later, after his last performance, news hits the airwaves that he's done. He's quitting. And you know how impactful a an athlete is when they consume the entire airwaves about news of their retirement. So, yeah, Tom, I wish you the best of luck. You are The GOAT. And on the same topic of championship football, it was reported that both Mahomes and Burroughs, the AFC championship quarterbacks, have the smallest hands and fingers for QB1s. Legend has it that to be a great NFL quarterback... You need big hands and long fingers to be able to hold an NFL football with at least three of your fingers on the laces. Neither of those two quarterbacks hold the football in the middle. They hold it closer to the ends, which just goes to illustrate you don't need to swing the biggest dick in the locker room to be a quarterback. Get it? Big hands, big feet, big... Well, I think you get it. Also in the news, Stormy Daniels, adult film star, squared off in court with her former lawyer, Michael Avernathy, accusing him of stealing upwards of $300,000. To discredit her, Avernathy told a Manhattan judge and jury that Stormy claimed to have a photographic memory, X-ray vision and the ability to speak to dead people. The court trial took a turn when Abernathy fired his public defenders and chose to defend himself. By the way, never a good choice if things are going well. Stormy claims that Abernathy diverted all funds from her book deal, the book disclosing her relationship with Donald Trump, amongst other behaviors. Abernathy convinced the publishing company to divert all funds from the sale of the book to his account. The entire time the book was on sale, she didn't receive a dime. You know, for a person with x-ray vision, it's hard to believe she couldn't see through Michael Abernathy's scheme. With her connections to the mob... It's likely she will be talking to dead people if she doesn't win this lawsuit. Yeah, more in the news. The McMinn County Board of Education voted unanimously to remove the book Mouse from the 8th grade curriculum because they cited concerns over vulgar words and subjects like sex violence, and nudity. This is for 8th graders. This is for young adults that most likely have been on the internet for several years. Now, for those of you not familiar with Art Spiegelman's 300-page depiction of the Holocaust, he depicts the Nazis as cats and the Jews as mice. These are like cartoons. This was the first cartoon picture book to win a pulitzer prize so somewhere between chattanooga and knoxville there will be generations of undereducated adults to the horrors of what happens when you give an unhinged person the freedom to wield their power disguised as making their country great again who's preaching world democracy 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 who wants to make free people free la 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 why not give us different news different news different news the farmers insurance pga tournament at torrey pines southern california This weekend in golf, we met a new first-time winner on the PGA, 38-year-old Luke List from now Augusta, Georgia. He's not from Augusta, but he moved there around four years ago to be closer to his in-laws now that he has their grandchildren. Now he gets to compete in his own backyard at the Masters this year. He won in a playoff against Will Zillatoris. Imagine if his mom's name was Dolores. Dolores Zillatoris. And that's a mouthful. We saw way more TV time of Will Zillatoris than we did Luke. That's because he's leading the tournament, um, certainly on Sunday, and he's a good friend of Tony Romo's, playing with him in Dallas all the time. I mean, just listening to the announcers, you could tell that Will can be The future of golf, if he keeps doing what he's been doing. I mean, I think he came in second last year at the Masters. The kid is really good. But, you know, it's interesting. So Luke had finished an hour and a half before Zilla Torres putted out on the last hole. He's got to wait late in the afternoon at Torrey Pines. So what does he do? He goes to the range and he hits balls for an hour and a half drivers, irons, wedges. And he's doing that while Zilla Torres probably only hit around eight to 10 shots over that hour and a half. Luke probably hit a hundred shots in that time period. So he was clearly warmed up and ready for the playoff. While Luke was hitting balls, Zilla Torres, Rom, and Jason Day all had chances to win on Sunday afternoon. Now, I've played Tory Pines, certainly not at the distance that they play it, but I know that Kakuya grass on the greens, it will drive you absolutely nuts. Kakuya is a weed that grows plentifully on the West Coast. So Tory Pines, this week up at Pebble Beach, the week after Riviera all small Kakuya greens. Villatoris had a chance to win the tournament at the 18th green in regulation. He had this uphill putt, maybe 10 feet, and when you saw the ball go towards the hole, you could see what this Kakuya grass does. It looks like the ball was heading right to the edge of the cup, and like inches before it, it kind of hits something. You can't see it, but that's the way the grass grows. It's, it's really, um, it's unnerving. And the ball just veered away. And what, what was his crime that he's got to think back on now for until he wins his first tournament is that he gets into the playoff with Luke List. They both hit drives in the sand. They both hit out of the sand and they have like 120 yards in. And Zilla hits almost exactly the same shot that he hit in regulation where his ball comes down below the hole. It might have been a few uh, feet past where he was, but he had the same angle. And what putt does he hit? Almost the exact same putt, except he hit it a little harder, but he hit it on the wrong side of the cup. Zilla has a very unique putting stance. It's like the anchor claw. He putts righty. And he anchors the putter on his left hand and then he claws his right hand. And there have been pros like Pat Perez would talk about how, you know, he understands why they got rid of the the belly putters because people were anchoring it up against their body because it takes nerves to putt. According to Pat Perez, who I think he ended up in the top 10 this weekend, he would say that putting is all about controlling your nerves. No matter how you putt the ball, no matter what your stances and your grip, and you could do, no matter what that is, you could do a hundred drills a day, reenacting alignment and speed, and you could make a hundred in a row, but it's hard to reenact nervousness. Now I'm projecting that Villa Taurus will win on the PGA tour, particularly as he continues to take advice from Bryson DeChambeau about increasing size and strength, I find that to be kind of funny because Zillatoris has been in the top ten on several golf tournaments. So the fact that he's very thin and hasn't built up to Bryson like size, he still hey he still beat Bryson this weekend. So you don't always need size, but you do need speed. And you do need technique. And he has that. Yeah, so I don't think you need to be Nostradamus to project that Villatoris will have a win sometime this year. Maybe even a major. Impatience on a golf course. Does it help Or hinder your game. I think we've heard most of the aphorisms about patience. Patience is a virtue. One minute of patience, ten years of peace. Patience is bitter, but its fruit is sweet. A man who's a master of patience is a master of everything else. I am patient with stupidity, but not with those who are proud of it. Genius is eternal patience. And if you're impatient, you're kind of hoping I would have stopped with all these proverbs by now. Impatient people just want something to progress within their timeline. Pacious is in short supply in most all good sales organizations. I spent almost my entire career in sales and marketing. And usually in, a, in professional sales, there are a series of moving parts, some of which have to precede others. And when those things get log jammed and delayed, that's when you quickly learn about who are the most impatient people in the organization who has patience, and who is the worst at it. Most golfers I play with are short in the area of patience, just like me. At Charleston National, we can get upwards of 300 rounds of golf on a holiday day, on a weekend, or just a perfect weather day in spring and fall. That could be up to 100 tee times filled with mixture of patient and impatient people. Now, typically the most impatient golfers get out early in the morning. I mean, most of them like to play quick early in the morning. That's typically when golf is played. It's quickest at most most golf courses. Why? Well, first of all, it's usually they're better golfers. They lose less balls and they spend less time looking for balls. There are also golfers that might need to be somewhere else in the afternoon, so they want to get out early. Maybe they have wedding parties, or maybe they have another round of golf planned somewhere else in the market. Also, generally, impatient people that don't want to be held up by others go out early, despite the fact that their pace of play is not as important as the pace of play of people in front of them. Personally, I don't know how you can play your best round of golf. And when I say best, I mean lowest score. I don't know how you could play your best round of golf in over four and a half hours. That's 270 minutes for 18 holes. That's like 15 minutes per hole. So what causes slow play? Number one, lost balls. Number two, BevCard girl experiences or number 3 just indecisive golfers when any or all of those happen to the group in front of you it's unnerving because you get to witness it while your golf club is in your hand and you're just waiting to swing the club and sometimes it's even worse when those slow groups are not the group ahead of you there's several groups ahead of you it's like it's like when you're driving and all of a sudden you see this big ass of a truck right in front of you and it's really slow and you're thinking the truck must be the problem but what you can't see are the cars that have slowed in front of the truck because someone in front of them is sitting there on their phone texting or even worse playing wordle so what do impatient golfers look like they always have to hit their drives first most of them purposely have fast golf carts, and they don't wait for the golfer who's farthest away from the grain to hit their shots. If they happen to have the fastest golf carts in the community, they will ride up to their ball and get ready, waiting for the farthest golfer to hit their shot, almost like they're encouraging them to hurry up and hit their shot so that I, the impatient one, can hit mine. And then when they get to the green, they might even putt at a turn just to get it over with because Peter Plumbob takes his sweet time evaluating the undulation, the pitch of the green, and the growth of the green. I was playing golf the other day with a really long hitter. Let's call him Arnold Palmer. He was even more impatient than me. I know, go figure. And he tends to hit his drive 50 yards further than I do. So we get to this one hole. And and by the way, up until that point, he was going up to his drive all the time, trying to encourage me to hit my shot, also to show me how much farther he could hit the ball than me. Way to go, Arnie. So we're at this one hole. I think it was the 13th hole at Charleston National. And I hit a shot and it leaks a little to the right. It ends up in the sand. There's this long fairway bunker, like 200 yards from the green. Arnie goes and hits his shot way up past mine, probably 50 yards, but right of where I was, actually right of the sand trap. So I get into the bunker and now I decide I've been watching a lot of golf videos and I see guys are hitting their hybrids, 200 yards out of these fairway bunkers. So I'm going to try it. I've not done it before, but I'm going to try it. So I've got this sweet seven wood and I figured this thing has enough loft. I hit it really well on the fairway. I am going to blast this up near the green. So I get up there and Arnie's up there just kind of looking at his ball, getting ready to hit his next shot. And I go to hit it and I hit it off the toe. Not a good place to be hitting a ball, particularly in a sand trap. It goes flying to the right, and I swear to God, inches from Arnie Palmer's head. And he just kind of looks up. That's never happened to him before. And I would tell you this, for the rest of the round, he never once drove in front of me. So here's the thing. Impatient golfers, or perhaps rangers, I'm uncertain where this started, came up with a brilliant golf term to speed up play, even better than a safe word used by just about any dominatrix. It's called ready golf. If you ever hear anybody in your foursome yell out ready golf, once you hear that term, all golf etiquette goes out the window. Once that term has been exclaimed by the ranger or any impatient golfer in your foursome, it's like announcing hunting season in Wisconsin. You've just been given the verbal amendment to the etiquette of golf, and it's every man for themselves. Although, I don't think my buddy Arnie's going to risk his life again. electronic seating charts in empty movie theaters. You gotta be kidding me. Sometime in the past several years, we'll call it the COVID era. Regal Cinemas here in Charleston started using this new software when they sell you tickets You have to pick out your seats. You have to have assigned seating. Now, I've experienced this in major metropolitan areas where the 350-seat theaters sell out for popular movies, particularly on weekends and weekend nights. It made it easier for these theaters to sell all their seats and not have to have their teenaged ushers have to go into the theater and force people to move and sit next to each other and pull their coats off of those seats that they were just waiting for somebody else to come. It also helped them catch people who pay for one movie and then go movie hopping once they're past the ticket collectors. Since the COVID era, Once theaters reopened, theaters were not filling seats. I mean, Spider-Man withstanding. Almost every movie I've been to, particularly on weekdays or matinee, are virtually empty. That being said, the ticket sellers, which now happen to be where they're selling all their popcorn and all their drinks, they still ask you, once you've paid for your ticket, Um, excuse me, can you pick a seat? And they show you this chart with like 300 seats, of which only two of them happen to be darkened. He goes, pick all the ones that are not darkened. Any of the ones that are not darkened. Only two were darkened. You know what that means. Nobody's coming to the theaters. So they're asking you to pick out seats. And I'm like, man, this is stupid. I mean, Tracy and I went to see this movie, 3.55, Thursday afternoon. At 320. And by the way, $7.50 for a small popcorn and $5.25 for a water? That's ridiculous. But I forgot to smuggle in my DeSanti, and I just happen to love movie popcorn. So we walk into the theater. It's now 340, 20 minutes after the start time of the movie. So all of the coming attractions were starting to play. And we are the only two people in the theater. So I just say, hey, Tracy, fuck this seat chart. Let's just seat where like a middle row somewhere up, maybe five or six rows up. So we go and we sit down and she is a rule follower. So that's hard for her. But I'm like, there's nobody here. Over the next 20 minutes, four more couples enter into the theater. Each of them spending at least five minutes looking at their tiny tickets in the dark, trying to figure out where their designated seats were. If you look up in the theater, it's just Tracy and me. And these couples are going back and they're arguing with each other. Meanwhile, the theater's empty. I mean, some people are rule followers. Most people are. Follow the rules, but the rules sometimes are just stupid. Most of the other moviegoers at 3.30 on a Thursday afternoon are probably super seniors. I mean, it's hard enough to walk into a semi-dark theater. Now, they have to look down and read their ticket. They don't have their glasses on. It's dark, and then they've got to reference it with some kind of mark on the side of the rows and the seats, I mean, hey, Regal, put the seating chart on hold and reserve it for more popular movies during more popular movie times like Fridays and Saturdays. And for you rule followers, just look up and find some seats where the other two people in a 350 seat theater are not sitting and just plump yourself down. I know that one day I'm going to be confronted with a super rule follower who in a semi-empty theater is going to challenge me on the fact that I'm sitting in their designated seat. And when that happens, and if I'm with Tracy, she is going to get so embarrassed and apologetic that it's probably going to be the last time we poach seats in any theater. But until that time, I'll spend maybe two to three seconds talking to the ticket sellers and telling them where I want to sit, and then maybe another 10 seconds when I get in the theater, just finding an open seat to sit down. Thanks for listening to another episode from Tales from the First Tee. I'm your host, Rich Easton, telling tales from beautiful Charleston, South Carolina. Talk to you soon.